This podcast may contain explicit language and themes, so listener discretion is advised. Ill-advised, misinformed, our half-baked opinions will be performed. Are you ready? Is the mic on? Welcome to the Hill to Die On. You're listening to A Hill to Die On, a podcast hosted by two stubborn and shit Aussies who give hot takes on a different topic, go away to dig deeper, and then reconvene to share whether or not their hot take hill was worth dying on. We're your hosts, bad boys, bad boys, Josie Spicer and Kyra Brooks. But before we get started, I have a few patrons to introduce. First up, we have two amazing gulks. First one is Kelly. You are now an amazing gulk. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> and the next amazing gulk is Max. Thank you, Max. You are now an amazing gulk. Thanks, Max. Someone who we probably should introduce, before we even got to introduce them as, a, as an amazing gulk, became our first ever Tory Bacardi. So, Al, you were briefly an amazing gulk, but you have been upgraded to a Tory Bacardi. Thank you very much. Thanks, Al. You, like, operate Patreon better than we operate our podcast, I guess. So we couldn't even keep up with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and quickly, before I get started... Also just want to give a shout out to Kelly. Uh, the other day while I was doing some study, I saw a piece of work referenced uh, in something I was reading and I was like, I recognize that name from somewhere. And it turns out it's a freaking patron of ours. Like this I love that. peer-reviewed paper. I'm just like, why do I recognize that name? And it, that person listens to our podcast. I just thought that was like super freaking cool and made my day. So this episode is the second installment of our reality TV miniseries. The, the question is, are property reality TV shows helpful? And within that, I'm going to be discussing uh, house flipping and renovating shows like The Block. And Kara will be discussing house buying shows. Like house hunters and location, location, location are probably the most obvious. Yeah. So... Kara, do you think that property reality TV shows are helpful? Uh, no. I think that they're fucking super unrealistic in terms of the mm. expectation of what you can afford or what your budget is to what you fucking do. Like, I don't know about other people from my generation, but when I watch these shows, I'm like always looking at like, what the fuck does this person do for a job that they can afford this house? And I think for the most part, it's that their fucking folks are bankrolling them. Because when you look at the mm -hmm. actual, whenever it's someone around my age, like, you know, early to mid thirties, when it says their jobs, it's like, here's a fucking creator of artisanal mouthwash and she designs bandanas for dogs. And you're like, how the fuck do you have a budget of $3 million? What are you doing, dudes? Like, no fucking way. Like, it's always this weird, obscure job where you would not be making fucking money like that. And then, yeah, they're buying these exorbitant fucking properties. And I think it's either they're going in debt past their fucking eyeballs or it's just, yeah, they're, they're born into wealth. And so I think mm -hmm. it creates really unrealistic expectations for everyone about the sort of properties that you could be buying. Or say if you had parents that weren't as, like my parents are very understanding about what 
you know, the realities of property buying and what it is like in my generation. And I think if you had parents that weren't um, as understanding of that, you know, because it was easier in their day, I could see how that would be hugely problematic because they would be like, well, this person can afford this house, or, you know, without realizing that, like, yeah, because their parents paid half their mortgage already. Like, it reminds me, Robert tells me about how his granddad, you know, he was able to buy a house just by being a salesman at a paint store and they had like five or six kids. Yeah. And he was the only income for that household. Yeah, it's fucking wild, eh? Yeah. I was hearing about a friend of a friend who basically their husband is a doctor and this girl doesn't work and he has to work two jobs to support them. And I was like... If even a fucking doctor can't be a one like income household, like mm-hmm. what is going on? I don't know their specific circumstances, but I'd be interested to know if it's the market or if it's the expectation that comes with being married to a doctor. Mm, the lifestyle, so to speak. Back to the discussing the careers of what these people do, particularly on the house buying or house renovating shows, is like one of them might be from a super extractive industry like they they might work in the mines which you know in Mm. australia you know when we had a boom you could go work out there with minimal education and come back and there are entire housing estates of of basically off the plan homes and big shiny cars that are bought from extracting fossil fuels and that's that's not necessarily a judgment on those people but there is a price you know yeah for being able to do that and it's not a sustainable price. Yeah. And and so my other question is, which do you think is the most egregious out of the house flipping or house buying sort of subsections we're going to discuss? Oh, it's really hard to say. Hey, mm-hmm. like I'm curious to see how that will pan out after the research of of the impacts of them. But mm-hmm. it's like they're both as fucking destructive as each other yeah. in their own way. Like house flipping, I hate the I fucking hate shows like the block i refuse to watch them and the idea that like anyone can do this is Mm -hmm. really fucking problematic and also takes away jobs from legitimate laborers who are qualified and don't fucking damage the properties because of you know they have training in what they're doing i think the idea of flipping a property this is a gray area for me because my parents did it and actually my parents have been on a property buying show um (laughs) so they were on location 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 a few years back um before they bought the current property that they live in and and they didn't buy anything on the show fun fact oh, really? so it wasn't really helpful at all they also have flipped houses for a few years leading up to the property that they live in now and they continue to renovate the house that they live in it, it wasn't necessarily the intent like it wasn't like oh we'll move here and then we'll do it up real nice and we'll sell it and we'll make a fat profit it was more like we'll live here and we'll do it up because we want to live in a house that's nice and this is how we want the house to be And then eventually, for whatever reasons, like new jobs, personal reasons, they had to move away. And so they would sell the house. And because they renovated it so nicely, uh, they they made a profit. But I think doing it with the intent of that, like essentially Mm -hmm. putting in small money to rip people off is problematic. Mm -hmm. And I don't agree with that. And I think the housing market is just fucked fucked no matter what. So there's not really a positive. I suppose uh, I find renovating a house you already own to be less like to make it better and more sustainable is less problematic than just buying a house outright but 
who's to say like i don't fucking know yeah anyway what's your opinion on this so basically yeah the, the question is like a property reality tv show is helpful and i think they are the opposite of helpful they, they're so intertwined but i think maybe house flipping comes out as more egregious to me so i had never really thought about it until I met this woman at a book club one time who was an electrician and she owns her own electrician company. And she said, since the block has been airing, like her business has been great because people will start taking out a wall in their home thinking that they can oh. do this renovation and then there's live wires in there. So, you know, she's like, they really shouldn't do it. It's fucking dangerous. But I get paid for it because all these ding-dongs aren't yeah. qualified and are doing this work and it costs them more money in the end. Mm-hmm. And then that got me thinking. And then um, it was sort of this, around the same time that we moved into the house we live in now. We've lived in like pretty shoddy places before, but this is a house where it's like so clear that someone watched the block and were like, yeah, I'm going to DIY <laughs> all of this. And it's like, we love this house because it's the perfect size for us and price and close to our son's school but our mirror was stuck on with blue tack. I am going to post those photos to um, the fucking our social media. But oh, fuck. our bathroom mirror. What in the bathroom? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Have I not shown you? It's like you? the most humid. No, it's like the most humid fucking room in the house. Why would you think blue tack is oh, and wet? And it, it wasn't a proper bathroom mirror. So it was cut, like surrounded by wood. So basically what happened is that enough water got into the wood, got moldy and expanded, that it expanded past the point that the blue tack could no longer hold to the wall. And behind it, for all these years, was a fucking PowerPoint that would have been really handy over those years. And we just laughed. Uh, months later, we finally got a mirror in. And the, the handyman, so, you know, someone who actually has skill, put the mirror that has no wood onto the wall above the the outlet so now we can use this outlet just just a common sense thing you know yeah and and on top of that like we don't have any skirting boards because i guess that they thought that it looked cleaner but actually it's fucking disgusting our kitchen benches so they tried to paint it themselves but they didn't bother sealing the paint so every time i wipe down my kitchen benches oh great paint comes off onto like the paper towel so i'm guessing when it's clean enough you know, I wouldn't dare put food on there and then, like, pick it up. It's going to pick up fucking paint. The landlords won't fix it. And my fucking feelings about landlords, they'll become known one day on this podcast, I'm sure. So my answer is I think that house flipping shows have more to answer for because even if people aren't selling the houses, they might be putting a lick of paint on it and then charging a whole bunch of fucking rent to someone who can't afford to buy their own home so they have to live in in a place that the landlord themselves wouldn't think is up to scratch actually that's so fucking true i agree house flipping is far worse oh fuck again i'm gonna put it in the show notes but there's this twitter account called dire housing and it's specifically like it's mostly related to uh new zealand rentals Oh my god, Kara, I had no idea how bleak the rental market is in New Zealand. Like, especially because it gets so cold and damp, there's just mold everywhere. And it is unbelievable. But apparently that's also a thing here, you just don't hear Mm. about it as much. 
But back to the question. Uh, so another issue I have with house flipping and specifically shows like The Block is that they'll buy a whole bunch of places in an area, usually, you know, not a very expensive area. So maybe it's a low SES area. And then they're basically just speeding up the gentrification process by trying to make it this luxurious, exclusive place to live. And that has material effects on people. Like people may not be able to continue renting in that area Mm -hmm. anymore. And if it's a place where there's a a high amount of non-white people and then a whole bunch of people with money move in, what's the policing and power dynamic look like there? Um, So apparently there's been some really bad outcomes even just in Australia about this. I haven't, like people have sent me links, but I haven't looked at them because I wanted to wait until after we did this first half of the episode. But apparently, yeah, there's been some pretty disastrous effects of the block and the Block, I'm pretty sure that's the one hosted by Scott fucking Cam, who I'm declaring here and now as my nemesis. He's paid, I think it's at like quarter of a million dollars per year by the government just to be like this trade spokesperson, like for Australia. Wow. Like he just gets paid money to be on these shows and to talk up trades, which again, I think that trades are super worthwhile but they're not spending that money investing in you know trade education programs in the apprenticeship so yeah or the amount that apprentices are getting paid yeah like how about splitting his fucking income into like 10 different scholarships or something Uh, (laughs) yeah imagine that Kara. yeah it's wild right yeah when it comes to property buying I, i don't have any kind of strong feelings about but i'd be interested to hear what you find all right well chat to you next time bye Bye. well we've been away for a little while now um but would you care to tell us what you found when it comes to property buying reality tv yes so uh i guess i'll just start by saying what i watched and what i read just to get that out of the way first because my notes were kind of scattered like I don't think I directly referenced anything specifically so uh, I watched uh, Location 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 so both the UK and Mm -hmm. Australian versions I watched House Hunters which is a US show which I don't know have you watched House Hunters much at all yes I really love it (laughs) yeah I just feel like I don't maybe I just got like a bad sampling but they always seem to pick the shittiest option of the houses because it was like three houses each time and every time it was like why'd you pick that one you fucking moron so uh mm-hmm. i watched a show called young rich and house hunting oh no 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 yeah and it was a uk show and i just wanted everyone in it to die quite honestly it was like rich trust fund kids <gasps> who off. were buying money sorry buying buying money basically <laughs> they were buying houses with their parents money and just it was fucked I uh, hate it. million dollar beach house which was believe it or not even more painful than uh oh how so? young rich and house hunting it was a group of american uh, real estate agents in oh fuck what's that um that holiday town the hamptons it was oh in the hamptons. no yeah so it was like them selling beach houses and they're like styling the properties and oh it was just revolting uh the last one i watched was escape to the country which actually turned out to be more of a show that you like up the alley that you oh, were yeah. doing because it was more renovation and building because I watched it being like oh yeah escape to the country they're just like buying a house in the country but no they like buy a shitty old like rundown 
like build in with one wall or something in the country and then build a house on it basically and I actually felt like a fucking idiot because I watched one ep- like a full episode of it and it's quite a long show like I think it was 45 minutes or something and I watched a full episode and I was like just bitching at it the whole time like these are, people are fucking stupid like do they not realize how long this shit takes it's such an unrealistic estimate it's such an unrealistic <laughs> budget blah 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 oh, it's the grand designs effect <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and just kept going until, like, got to the end of the episode. I'm like, I do want to see what they did, though. And then it just, like, rolled into a second episode because I was watching on YouTube. And so then I, like, I watched maybe, like, ten minutes of it and I was like, okay, these people are better than the last, but, you know, this is still pretty fucked and it's frustrating to watch. And then I was like, you fucking idiot, you're watching this on YouTube, just fast forward to the result. Like, (laughs) why are you watching 40 minutes of, like, filler? Okay, so what I read, I read an article from marketwatch.com which was a financial news site and it was called how real estate tv determines what buyers look for in a house i read uh the hgtv effect the real reality of reality tv real estate which is a fucking mouthful of a title (laughs) yeah the real reality of reality tv real estate it's just too many she sells seashells by the seashore exactly uh that was from the good heart group which was a real estate agent site Another one on MetroAtlantaHome.com, which was how reality TV shows often distort the home buying process. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then a HuffPost article that was called Bad Lessons You've Learned from Watching HGTV. Uh, And then the last point was that I also spoke to my mom, which I think I mentioned this last time, but uh, she was on Location, Location, Location Australia with my dad back in 2011. So it was season one, episode seven, and I couldn't find it online. Like there were some episodes of that online, but that one was not. Oh. Um, so if anyone does find it somewhere, uh, let me know because I actually have never seen it. Yeah, that'd be wild. Um, and yeah, it's, it's what, like 10 years ago now. So it'd be kind of interesting to see. So the way I sort of approached this was I figured, you know, if we're asking, is it helpful? I thought about just breaking down who it would be helpful for Mm -hmm. and then like why or why not. Uh, So helpful for the real estate agent. In what ways it is helpful? Uh, Buyers become better educated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that is kind of a pro for the real estate agent. Makes their job a little bit easier. Another point was who cares? Fucking leeches. (laughs) And then uh, ways that it is not helpful. So buyers have unrealistic expectations regarding timeframes, budgets, negotiating, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, buyers might watch enough to think they are experts and realtors are redundant, yeah. which arguably they already were. <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> um, so uh, helpful for viewers, uh, ways that it is helpful for viewers. Uh, they get to experience the process of buying or selling a home, however filtered or edited it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get to see different types and styles of houses in many locations and markets. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, if you're watching international shows across different countries as well, it's just kind of interesting to see different perspectives. Yeah. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube or it's syndicated, then you're seeing it across many different time frames, and it's yes. depressing. <laughs> like, hey, remember when you could buy a house for two hundred grand, like a five bedroom? Robert and I. We used to love watching House Hunters International for that reason. Like, we just loved seeing the different forms, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more interesting than just watching it, I think, in your own country, for sure. Oh, yeah, I don't care. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't want to buy a fucking property here. Another thing was uh, finding out issues that may arise with the thing, the aforementioned sort of things, like budgets, negotiating timelines and all of that. Because if you're seeing other people experience it, you know, it might give you some sort of indication of like, oh, maybe we should pay attention to that. Uh, ways that it is not helpful for viewers uh, unrealistic expectations with appearance of houses so when they show up at a house in real life and it's not been staged mm. and it's not you know tidy or 
uh, styled in a way that they think is appropriate. Um, that can, if, you, if you're used to seeing that and you think that's what's expected and that's yes. where value comes from, then obviously that's going to um, yeah, affect your view. Uh, they may not realize how much work is involved in the reality of buying property. Okay. One point that came up in the articles that I read is that it said that these shows don't provide realistic timelines on number of viewings for properties. Uh, so, you know, with House Hunters, for instance, it shows you three, uh, whereas they said the average is 12 or more Jesus. and it usually takes over a year to buy a home, like once people start hunting. Fuck. It gives you people a false sense of the market and unrealistic ideas about what they can afford with their budget. Okay. Um, and sometimes people on the show have already bought the house apparently that's like a house hunters thing that made me so mad right i couldn't watch it after that i was like this is a lie i felt so betrayed no wonder they picked the worst one because they did it without guidance right it's all they could afford yeah which haha i have no house so like i can't laugh but you know but we can just you know <laughs> another point that i thought was really interesting was that it said it rarely includes internet searches when 89 percent of buyers and 93 percent of millennials Ooh. use websites to search for homes and then i laughed and i was like draw a venn diagram of that and it'll be two circles that never meet yes there was uh, that fucking young rich house hunting fuckery show oh. that actually had them looking online because, you know, they were like zennials and millennials buying with their parents' money. So they're like, of course, they're going to use the internet. At least that was realistic. I mean, not for the richies, but like it just occurred to me, like those shows wouldn't show like the brokerage, like all the fucking dumb meetings with lawyers and brokers and stuff like that. Yeah, they rarely even have like building inspectors and shit. Jesus. Like unless there's a real obvious like crack or something, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in buying a house that they just don't show on those shows yeah. and granted like with shows like house hunters you know they've got fucking like half an hour or whatever to squish it into yeah, so it kind of makes sense but okay sellers so people who are selling homes is it helpful for sellers uh ways that it is helpful people may not so readily dismiss an old or imperfect property mm -hmm. um so if they're watching other people buy you know older or slightly shitty homes but then altering them or you know realizing like oh this is a really simple fix versus mm -hmm you know, this is a fucked bathroom, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wait, this one was a good one. So I watched a video on YouTube that was a reunion video of the hosts from Location, 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 and they were talking about how their experiences sort of outside of the show, like how how it may have affected um, auctions they were at or things like that. And I hadn't really thought of this, but they were talking about how uh, one time at an auction – they had, I think it was the the female host said that she had someone come up to her afterwards. And so basically she was there with a group of people from her work and one of them was like placing bids on the property that was like representative of all of them. But maybe mm. that wasn't clear from the way that they were standing or whatever. Right. But someone saw her there and recognized her there and then said to her afterwards that they didn't bid on the house because they were watching her and saw that she didn't bid. Oh, no. Like, if this was actually a good investment, she would be bidding on it. But that works both ways because, you know, that's great for the buyers, like other buyers, because that's a competitor that is no longer yes. in the game. <laughs> that's shit for the seller. But at the same time, like, if you were a buyer and you wanted the best price, maybe that could work to your advantage if you invite one of them down with oh you. Oh, my God, like, just have her linger. Yeah, like, just hang out, act like it's a shit property. Like. Yeah. 
And by the same token, like if they were enthusiastic about a property and bidding on it, it would encourage more people to bid. Yes, absolutely. Uh, ways that it's not helpful for sellers. Um, so the same point with the auction, like how it would work in the reverse way. People expecting staged homes. So like no yeah. do- dirty dishes or laundry, everything being tidy and not lived in and stylized is, you know, it's not necessarily reflective of reality because a lot of people who are selling their homes still live inside them. Absolutely. Uh, and it's really difficult to have, you know, to keep every fucking or twice a week or once a week even to keep redressing your house to have it mm-hmm. you know in inspection worthy condition which I've actually done that um, not that I've personally ever bought or sold a home but when uh, I was staying with my parents for I think it was like six months or something um, in my la- very last semester of uni and they were in Europe at the time and they were selling their house and I was house sitting and I had to get the house ready for inspection every week. It was great in that like I got to live in a house rent free for a bit, <laughs> but it was fucking shit in that you had to make sure that like everything was spotless and you barely lived in the house. Um, and because they had like, you know, four pets or something wild at the time as well. And so other things that were like not helpful with sellers. Um, so they might be misled by trends. Um, on reality shows when they don't actually reflect the market. So I heard something about people being really into like graphite countertops or some shit because of house hunters. But in reality, it's not like that. Like real estate agents are like, oh, no one shit. wants that. Like that's just what they say on this show. Um, so all these sellers are like adding these things to their house, thinking it's adding value when really it's not. Like, and it's not what the buyers are actually wanting. Oh, it's an artificial trend kind of. Yeah. Like- yeah. Like trend casting, but just done shittily. Last point on sellers is that they might make poorly designed, conceived or executed decisions, particularly DIY, regarding home alterations based on what they've seen buyers responding to on the TV, which kind of ties into that last point as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you're watching, you know, if you've seen like 20 episodes of House Hunters and they're all like, oh, look at this fucking like multicolored splashback. And you're like, oh, I'm going to put in a fucking multicolored splashback and then no one wants it. Like you fucked yourself. People are loving this open planned area. I'm going to fucking knock out this wall before we put it on the put it up for auction this weekend. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a load bearing poster. (laughs) Oh, I bet that's happened so many fucking times. (laughs) Is it helpful for the people that are actually on the show? So the people that are buying the houses. Um, For that, I talked to my mum because who else would be better to talk about than someone who has actually been on the show? Ways that it is helpful. It's free tailored advice from an estate agent who presumably knows the market area and what to look for. Perfect. You have the experience (laughs) of being on TV. That could maybe be helpful for some people. And sometimes, I don't know about other shows, sometimes you might get paid. You don't for location, location, location Australia, for the record. Damn it. Ways that it is not helpful um, for these people is, I guess, also the experience of being on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when they're fucking annoying or obnoxious, like so many of them seem to be for some reason. Another point is that you might feel pressured into making a decision and sometimes from very limited options. Yeah. The last is it's a waste of time if nothing is gained, learned, or no purchases made. So like my parents didn't buy a house on that show and ended up buying something else later but I thought especially because of that that she'd be like oh it was a massive waste of time you know because if you don't get paid and you didn't even get a house from it then what did you get but Mm -hmm. she said that it was actually really good and like the dude was really nice and 
the reason that they went through that process was because they didn't really know Tasmania that well at the time. And so oh. they thought it would be good to have someone who did know the market and did know like what areas would be good for them and like where they should be looking, what they should be looking for. Um, basically she said that after they finished doing this show, they actually stayed in touch and he did help them out with getting their house. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Very last point I had on like who this was helpful for. Helpful for society. Big question mark. Ways that it could be helpful is that people are looking at smaller or older houses and wanting to fix things instead of just giving up or demanding brand new homes. Even if it's through a limited lens, some education may be better than none. Ways that it's not helpful is that suddenly everyone is a fucking expert. (laughs) The damage to the market as well from people learning how to aesthetically manipulate buyers or thinking that they can trend forecast their way into higher asking prices. Oof. Oof. That's some foreshadowing for mine. Yeah, right. I bet. Overall, I think it's more helpful than harmful. Mm, Yeah. Like, I think most of the harm was, like, minimal sort of harm issues. Like, there weren't, whereas a lot of it is like, oh, you actually do get a fair bit out of this. I wasn't expecting to, like, maybe come around to this as well. Because, like, I mean, I, I don't see the harms that arise from it. Like, they're not necessarily much different from reality of buying homes and stuff like I'm sure magazines and other sorts of media have sort of like impacted home buying in similar ways in terms of like trends or like thrift or whatever I I, I don't know how to articulate it properly no I know what you mean like it's not it's things that aren't like out of the realm of what it's already just the process itself is yes yeah I think that's what I'm yeah it's not like with fucking like law shows we were like oh they're actually entirely fucking the system from the outside (laughs) like this is a different yeah it's like oh these problems already exist Mm -hmm. um these aren't like new sort of issues like they're, they're very minor variations on a theme and there's like multiple reasons that these things exist like it's not solely because of these shows or at least I didn't find any evidence that was proving it was solely because of these shows and if anything I think that it would be because of the shows that you're about to cover and not because (laughs) of property buying so it's interesting because it sounds like a lot of people like I don't know if this is what you experienced but it sounds like a lot of people are looking for a home that they're gonna live in is that the case or yeah most of it was like even with the ones um in that like young rich and house hunting show there were a couple where it was like i just want it to be an investment you know and you're like fuck off um even then like there was one where it was a girl who was buying a house with her parents money and the plan was that i think she had two younger brothers um and she had like older siblings as well that didn't live at home but the whole family were going to move into whatever place she bought temporarily while their house was being renovated and then they'd move back into their original house and she'd keep whatever house she had bought oh which must be nice but in that situation the dad was like well it should be an investment type of thing so you're like uh but why why are you even doing this why don't you just fucking like rent get a fucking caravan or some shit like what are you fucking doing rent, you like, dumb yeah, like rent or like if you think that it's that big of a waste of money to rent, ha ha, thank you, now you know how it fucking feels. So you admit. Yeah, yeah, you, you admit that you're fucking this. But yeah, if that was the case that it was that big of a deal, like why wouldn't you just get her a fucking appropriately sized house for her? Mm-hmm. Like get fucking two houses. Why not at that point? Buy two houses for half the fucking price and have your property be the investment or mm-hmm. like the whatever because you're just leaving it any Oh, it's just fucking stupid, man. I hate everyone on that show. I've never seen the show, but I hate them. From what you've said, I don't see it as um this show itself being inherently harmful. 
as you said, there are those things where you're not showing like the whole paperwork process and the timeframes and stuff, but more grounded in reality, I guess, except for house hunters. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's still TV at the end of the day. So it's like, how much do you really expect them to show? Like that sort of the onus of that, I think, falls a little bit on the viewer. Like if you were, well, I didn't know I had to sign this much paperwork. Like, did you think they were really going to fucking sit there like Jack Bauer style and fucking 24 hour time and be like, hey, Jesus, let's watch him like sign these like 30 pages of documents. Like, no, <laughs> it's not Three a show. Weeks like... until they go see their fucking broker again. I don't know. Like, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. What did you find about about house flipping shows? Oh, Cara, I I wrote it out, so I'm just going to say it because I could just burst into a rant already, but I'll calm down (laughs) and take you through it. I have seven pages of notes um, that that I have written myself, (laughs) not not just copy paste, fucking written. I am on one. Okay, so to remind our listeners, my subgenre of property-based reality TV is renovation, like house renovation and flipping. Most of my discussion will be based around the Australian reality series, The Block. And I think one of the best and kind of like indicting ways to frame what this show is like is to first describe the ways in which it's like different from the much beloved and long-running renovation show Grand Design. But quickly, before I get into that, because I won't get a chance to bring them up again, I thought I would just list out some of the very niche and unnecessary-sounding house-flipping shows I found. Yes, please. Boise Boys. Boise Boys, did you say? Boise, Idaho. Yeah, Boise Boys. A fucking awful name. Flip-Flop Fort Worth. That just sounds like it falls fucking flat on its face. (laughs) The Vanilla Ice Project. Oh, that's where he actually renovates houses, right? Yeah, because he's a prolific property developer. The Adam Carolla projects. I don't know if you ever listened to like Loveline. No. Um, no. Oh, okay. He's a piece of shit, but pretty popular kind of like radio guy. And zombie house flipping. And there was like, I think there was like a murder house flipping, like murder house fucking reno show. Like there's just wow. so many. So just want to give those an honorable or dishonorable mention. <laughs> but back to Grand Designs and The Block. I was actually thinking, like, sorry to interrupt, but just when I was thinking about shows like this the other day, like The Block versus Grand Designs, to me it's like the equivalent of, you know that show Porn Stars, like P-A-W-N? It's like Porn Stars versus Antiques Roadshow. That is a perfect analogy, holy shit. And you don't learn anything in Porn Stars it's totally manufactured. It's trash. Like, you know it's trash. It is, like, the lowest of, like, you took a big trip to the tip. First up, I'm a bit biased because I'm a long-time lover of Grand Designs and even own a hideous and wonderful Kevin MacLeod collage shirt that I know that he would personally be offended by <laughs> if he ever saw it. But um, I have uh... consulted some academic literature to back up my statements. There are three academic sources that I'll include in the show notes, all of which have Anita Podkalika, apologies in advance for pronunciation, listed as either primary author or second author. It was really cool to see that someone is addressing the dynamics of uh, like flipping reality shows in an academic way, and she's also a researcher and lecturer at Monash University in Melbourne. Anyway, to highlight the differences between Grand Designs and The Block, I think the main thing to note is that Grand Designs follows one Grand Design per episode with the passage of like months and years going by in that one episode, and then it's very contained within that one episode. Whereas on the other hand, The Block 
is aired five nights a week, I believe, in Australia, and is more of a game doc. It's a game show, essentially. So it follows multiple households who are working on a block of rundown houses to renovate and then sell for maximum profit. There are rules and challenges, and one season covers this entire project, and the season finale is like the auctioning of these properties, and that's when someone wins. And those season finales often get millions and millions of people watching them. People is a pretty generous term. More like sheeple. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as well with the block, it's filmed really close to real time in terms of like, yes. you know, it might just be like a week behind or something, but I used to work on the same street where the block building was. And I remember like it, I didn't watch the show cause fuck it, but I'm pretty sure that like it was developing around the same sort of speed. As what it was on television. Yeah, I think you're right. That was my next sentence. Like, I'm pretty sure it's operating more or less real time rather than one episode of Grand Designs taking years to fucking make. Yeah. Well, it's because they want the fucking viewers to buy the properties as well, I suppose. So yes, you need to have the season done before the auction's ready. So Despite the block operating in more or less real time, there are like manufactured time constraints applied to the renovations as well as like part of the rules of the show rather than natural sort of time constraints and and extensions that are seen on grand designs you know on grand designs you'll often see projects that sink unthinkable amounts of money and perhaps the projects are never completed or break up families in the process so there are 21 seasons of grand designs since 1999 with a total of 210 episodes but the block has racked up a total of 758 episodes what since 2010. I guess if you're doing fucking five episodes a week, though. I mean, it's like saying, like, I fucking spent 10 hours making this souffle and it's very small, but it's delicious. Or, like, I spent 10 hours shitting in this giant mixing bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Just shit. Just pooping. Like, yeah, good for you. I don't want to eat it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) still don't want it. And so I didn't have a chance to fact check this because this kind of just came up in conversation when I was talking to Robert. But he was saying that reality TV in Australia has been like a fucking, I don't know, boon is the word for networks because I don't know if there still is, but at least historically there has been like this thing where each network needs to produce a certain amount of Australian shows, whatever. And so like having something on every night that costs nothing to make, fuck. So there's a definition as well. So like I started off kind of drawing those two differences between grand designs and the block, but then I <laughs> later found a definition of what flipping is uh, in an NPR piece. And apparently flipping is specifically buying a home and reselling it within a year. Even though I've never put a time frame on it, I think I like intuitively knew like that was what flipping is. It's like a very quick turnaround for profit yeah. sort of thing, which grand designs isn't <laughs> that. But anyway, so... My next kind of section is the block and consumption. So, and again, this is for fucking most flipping TV shows, but the block is what I'm focusing on. The block is one prolonged commercial (laughs) with (laughs) neoliberal capitalist messages constantly at the forefront. There's an egregious amount of product placement displayed throughout each episode and the contestants' shopping practices are formed by sponsorships. It's alleged that many of the materials are supplied by companies and manufacturers, which is at odds with the reality of like decision-making processes that people at home would make during their own renovations. Like there's no, necessarily no reason quality-wise why they would be going for 
the products that they're seeing on TV, which is obviously a problem. The series climax for the block is when the houses are open to the public and are auctioned off. This is how we determine a winner. While consumption and capitalist notions are certainly present in grand designs, they are presented alongside wider social discourses and economies, which, and I thought that was a really important point, because like, for example, when you watch an episode of Grand Designs, there'll be talk of like climate change and eco-conscious policies. The realities of the changing seasons and landscapes factor into the actual construction of the buildings on the TV show. Mm-hmm. Like economic realities are often presented in Grand Designs due to like individuals having to use their own money to finance these Grand Designs. Yeah. Well, I feel like part of what makes them grand is, like, not just how much money was spent on it, you know what I mean? Like, what what's, makes it grand is, like, this was a really well-thought-out design, or, like, mm-hmm. this is really practical, or this will see them into the future really well, like, it'll last really well. Um, yeah. Those are the sort of things that he's taking into account, whereas in the block it's like, how much money will you rip someone yeah, off? Yeah, like? totally. And, yeah, in Grand Designs, this the project doesn't always go to plan. So many times in the show you'll see things not going to plan for reasons outside of the control of the people undertaking the project, which is the total opposite of the block, where it's sort of like individual responsibility, which is so fucking reflective of neoliberalism the scope is so just centered around the people on the show and there's no broader context put into it at all i also i haven't watched the block but like do they do everything themselves more or less is that like part of it (sighs) they they have they have fucking like they have crews there but i think they have to budget it into it so like they can mm. decide to do things themselves. Yeah, right, because their own labour is technically free. That's another fucking capitalist thing. Yeah, which is not fucking true, <laughs> like, yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. It's just like being an artist. So, like, the scope of the block is quite limited to the block itself, and larger discussions are rarely, if ever, had. Perhaps council regulations will be brought up every now and again, but this is usually seen as like an inconvenient obstacle (laughs) rather than provoking any discussions about society, which it fucking again is like such a neoliberal conservative like concept. It's just like, ah, regulations, who needs them? Another thing to note is that Grand Designs is associated with a public broadcasting network, while the block is under Nine Network, which is ultimately a Packer family situation. For those outside of Australia, the Packer family rivals Rupert Murdoch in their heinous business dealings and control a lot of Australian media and influence over politics. And as well as owning Nine Network, they also own the largest gaming... Crown Casino. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> in qu- in um, scare quotes, gaming and entertainment group. The fact that the block neglects to include any wider social commentary is not a coincidence. In fact, I've come to the conclusion that in the block, like, there is actually, like, social commentary but it is completely artificial constructed and is, I mean, it's kind of like the subtext. I'll just get to my next point, where I state quite boldly that the block is just Australian values propaganda. Yeah. First off, I need to take a moment to have a fucking rant about the host of the block, Scott Cam. I hate him with everything inside me. I'm going to look him up. It doesn't seem like it should be a name. Oh, that guy. I fucking hate (laughs) that guy. He's such a dickhead. How do you think he presents? I don't even know how. Like a fucking human sausage roll. I don't know how else to fucking just... That's offensive to sausage rolls. I'm sorry. Sausage rolls are delicious. So I can't pretend I'm coming into this 
again with no opinions <laughs> fucking scott cam but i figured i should at least like read a bit more on the guy to justify my 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 hatred so scott cam has been around on australian free to air tv for a long while now i remember him being the carpentry guy on a show called backyard blitz when i was a kid alongside his more wholesome counterparts jamie jury jody rigby and my personal favorite angel nigel ruck Basically, they're all still just, like, doing their, like, horticulture businesses and, like, landscape design. They're just doing their own thing. Unlike Scott Camp, who is now most well-known for his kind of Aussie larrikin, down-to-earth, chippy-from-Bondi personality on the block. Before kind of, like, doing my research for this episode, I, I called Scott Camp the Australian Mike Rowe. Because, like Mike Rowe, he cosplays as a working-class, middle-of-the-road everyman. He perpetuates a certain Australian values energy, which I'll get into shortly. And in my opinion, he's a paid propagandist. If you want to know more about the mm-hmm. Mike Rowe situation and how he's funded by the Koch brothers, and then I fucking wrote in brackets, or now, Koch brother, haha. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that happened to you. <laughs> There's a fantastic but enraging episode of Citations Needed that covers this, and I'll probably link it in the show notes. You know, some people are above laughing at the death of others. I'm not. <laughs> I am not. I <laughs> cheered when I found out a Coke brother died. I remember where I was. I just landed in Newcastle, and I saw it on TV, and I cheered, and my sister-in-law asked me what I was cheering about, and she wasn't very <laughs> impressed when I told her. Yeah. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, there is a difference between Micro and Scott Cam, though. While Mike Rowe is funded to push anti-unionist, anti-workplace health and safety messages by private entities, Scott Cam is funded by the Australian federal government to cosplay as a working class bloke. And while reading into Scott Cam, I do need to admit that he's not really as bad as Mike Rowe, because Scott Cam does seemingly care about workplace health and safety, as quoted in what turned out to be a fucking paid sponsorship, so who knows really. Hmm. But the same can't be said for Mike Rowe who has the motto, safety third. Wow. Yep. P.S. When I googled Scotty Cam, it came up that he was the, um, what you're talking about now, I guess, like that he's the fucking first national careers ambassador for the Australian government. I am about to get into that because that is the thing. Good. Like, what the fuck? Paid propagandist, my dude. Before I continue, Mike Rowe was never actually working class. Like, he never was, like, a fucking tradie or anything, whereas Scott Cam was a carpenter for nearly 20 years. Mostly a boss in that time, I should add, but he was a carpenter. So I admit the micro comparison isn't entirely warranted, but it's it's close enough, right? Scott Cam, as you mentioned before, was paid $347,000 to be Australia's first national careers ambassador in an effort to curb the decline of young people taking up apprenticeships. Now, first of all, during my reading, I found that the fucking average demographic for the block is 35 years plus. So why the fuck would you get Scott Cam to try to appeal to young kids to join the trade? Like, it's just their dad in a pair of clean RM Williams that have never been on a work site coming to your school and telling you to, to like, work hard (laughs) in a fucking trade where you're going to be earning not a lot of money and risking your body every day. I I think trades are incredibly useful and they should be funded better, but that's the point. Fund fucking trades and apprenticeships better and make the conditions better. Yeah, like, why don't you take 
all that fucking money that they're paying him and paying him to go around schools and instead funnel it into fucking like paid apprenticeships that are like scholarships for kids that can't afford to you know that could pay for like 10 fucking kids scholarships totally. in his one income like yeah no absolutely it's just that he doesn't need by the way he doesn't fucking need that income at all no, he gets so. at least a million per season i think um, and that's not including his, like, paid advertisements. Like, he's got a sponsorship with Mitre 10 and everything like that. And he's, like, multi-million dollar property fucking portfolio. And oh, yeah, else, yeah. He so. lives in a $6 million house. Yeah, cool. And that's just the one he lives in. Um, he's got many others. <laughs> that pisses me off. Rightfully so. <laughs> a lot of people were rightly pissed when it came out that Scott Cam was given an absurd amount of money for, like, a pretty vague position that seemed to not do much. When questioned about whether the salary was justified and whether the initial amount offered was that or whether he negotiated he responded with that's none of your business um he eventually walked that back after enough people were like mate you're a fucking like class trader which we'll find out he was never actually working class but anyway it turned out that five months into his ambassadorship he had been to one face-to-face event posted four social media updates and had done three videos posted to youtube Oh my god. We're getting donations of, I think now, $60 a month now, which is awesome. But like, give me 347000 we'd be shitting out stuff every day. <laughs> like, Right? Like, because at that point, you don't need to work another no. job. Like, hell, I could do that on fucking like 30 grand a year. Like, what's really infuriating as well is that it's like, it's already maddening when someone makes that much money just from like private enterprise, but they're not doing anything. When it's from Mm -hmm. the government, it's like, oh, cool. So like, people get mad that they think that, you know, people on Centrelink are rotting the system. And yet here's this fucko making like, infinitely. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. It turned out that like, Labour were like, tisk tisk at Scott Cam's ambassadorship but then an article rightly pointed out that hey actually labor would pay like thousands of dollars for scott cam to appear at events all the time i guess he was at least having to appear at the events though <laughs> that's the difference yeah, that's true that's true it wasn't just like a fucking salary for like who knows right? which is basically like all of the liberal government a salary for who knows right now, how did Scott Cam get here, and why is he paraded as Australia's humble chippy from Bondi despite living in a $6 million house? Was it through sweat and hard yakka that Cam got to this place? No. Even as he admits, through sheer luck, he met someone at the pub after work who ended up being a TV producer who put him on Backyard Blitz. Now, I'm not someone to poo-poo on encouraging people to get into apprenticeships or finding a path that doesn't involve university. I think there's important discussions to be had here, but Scott Cam is paraded as a proud tradie who left the trade as soon as he could (laughs) once he got a better paying TV job. And, uh, you know, he's a working class bloke, despite going to the prestigious Sydney private school Waverley College. To have someone who made their actual riches from TV and who was presumably born into an amount of wealth given his high school education, you know, having him come to schools, if he ever went to schools, and tell them, you can be successful like me if you get an apprenticeship, work hard, and put up with the shit pay. It's so insulting for this dude who hasn't really lived or isn't currently living what he's espousing to come and do that. Anyway, that pissed me off. It's like people thinking that, like, fucking Elon Musk is self-made. You know, it's like the same (gasps) kind of shit. Where it's like, yeah, I'm sure if your parents had a fucking apartheid emerald mine, you'd be good too. Like, 
Yeah, it's fucking stupid. It's the same fucking logic where it's like, you just have to work hard or just have a really good idea or just be in the right place. No, you just have to be born into the right fucking family. That's Scott Cam. Now, how does this relate to renovation and flipping TV shows? Well, Scott Cam is a fundamental piece of what makes the block work. So I don't know if this experience is universal or if it's because I did grow up in a heavily, like, working class, lower socioeconomic background, but the way Scott Cam talks in the block is so fucking cringe. Like, if, Kari, you've never watched the block, um, I'm sure many of our listeners probably haven't watched the block, I would encourage you to go type in the block into YouTube. There's so many fucking five-minute dramatic clips in there, <laughs> and you might you might experience this too. So the Oka Australian vernacular is so forced in the show, and this is kind of echoed in the academic literature on the block as well. Interactions between contestants, hosts, and tradespeople have a pronounced use of Australian vernacular, which reinforces the, quote, lowbrow aspect of renovations. They noted that this whole Australian vernacular thing is also apparent in the kind of like cluelessness that the contestants have when interacting with the, quote, urban elite classy sort of like designer aspects of the show which requires a kind of like mediator to bring these ordinary Australian folks up to speed like sort of bridging these working class renovating folks with these urban elites who are talking about designing and styling it's like there needs to be a translator and this reinforces ideas of like an inherent difference between urban and suburban populations and how they relate to one another which is something that is often used by conservative politicians in Australia to play their base and to prevent class solidarity. Mm. Like, if you think of latte sipping lefties, and it's totally manufactured. Like, fucking people in urban areas are also working class. And it's like, this divide is just perpetuated through the block, through these patterns of how they're talking and through, like, the need to have a mediator to present the contestants to a fucking, like interior designer yeah and like even there's like regional and suburban people that are upper class as well like it's not totally yeah like there doesn't need to be a mediator between like in any other time it's just sort of like oh i've got these blokey blokes coming into an interior design store they need to style these inner city fucking properties that they're doing and then they act like they have no idea how the inner city works do you kind of understand what i'm saying yeah yeah It sounds straight up offensive to me. (laughs) So to put it more succinctly, as one of the sources stated, the block can be seen as tactically bogan at times, which in the Australian everyday talk is a derogatory notion denoting the lack of refinement of low socioeconomic classes. I find this really interesting because while it's like linguistically coded as working class, the content is property renovating and investment which is something that's becoming increasingly impossible for the working class to achieve in Australia. Yeah, like it's only accessible to the upper class and certainly the people who are actually buying those apartments at the end of the show are like very upper class. For sure, absolutely. And I think this is deliberate as it reinforces notions of Australia as like an egalitarian state where you can build yourself up and succeed despite your socioeconomic status. In a country where wages are slow to increase against the rise of the cost of living and housing prices, the block portrays a false reality. It's a game show, and despite it being a game show, people still go away thinking that they can and should flip houses too. 
but part of the fucking reason we can't buy houses is because of quick renovations, because of flipping itself. I'll get into that a bit later. A quick aside, alleged comedian Dave Hughes, a guy who uses his ochre voice and doll bludger material on stage, actually bought and has since sold one of the properties on the block. So my second last section is what are the real world implications of the block? I am still talking about house flipping shows, but the block is just so egregious. I couldn't move past it. It's kind of just like the epitome of what you're talking about. So it's fair. To totally, talk. totally. So first off, uh, I believe I noted in the first portion of this episode, tradespeople have noticed a shift in expectations of their clients. And I've also had to come in to repair and redo jobs that people had believed they could do without a professional. I imagine that happens a lot. And it kind of reminds me of one of your points where it was like ideas of what people need to do to make a house more marketable and stuff like that. Yeah, and then doing it themselves and being like, fuck. Yes. (laughs) One of the academic sources I looked at interviewed both viewers of the block and Australian tradespeople. Some tradespeople noted that the arbitrary time constraints that feature on the block have resulted in clients having unrealistic expectations about how long it will take to complete their project. Like some tradespeople told of clients who truly believed that they could do a bathroom renovation in one to three days. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because that's what it, that's what happens on the block. Jesus. You can do a room in a week. Yeah, if you have a whole team of people. Absolutely, and fucking all the funds in the world, and your materials donated to you, so already supplied, you're not waiting on anything to come in. (sighs) But it hasn't been all bad for Australian tradies. One study estimates that there is a $251 billion boost to quarterly renovation expenditure whenever a season of the block is screened. That's fucking disgusting. 251 billion. Bunnings are just fucking like licking their lips right now. Oh, it has been the best fucking thing for Bunnings, I'm so sure. So like, I feel like that's a substantial indicator that despite my fucking opinions on the block, it's here to stay. Like there's no way they're gonna let that go. I mean, in the words of fucking super hands, like you can't trust people, people, like Coldplay and voted for the Nazis. Like, people fucking watch the block, man. Like, I don't... It doesn't mean it's good. Just people like shit. Yeah, I'm not gonna poo-poo on people for, like... I will. Watching it still. Fuck you. It yeah, sucks. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it objectively is a bad, bad show. Yeah, not nah, Like, I have friends that watch shit TV. Like, I have friends that watch fucking Married at First Sight and, like, God awful mm-hmm. shit. And, like, I can't. I just fucking can't. I would offer the alternative of Grand Designs. Because it's just way better in, like, every fucking metric. And there is so much more drama. Because people's families break up. That is so dramatic. And because it's like, real. It's not a game show. It's ac- it's not reality absolutely. TV. It's, like a doc- it's more like a documentary. So there's one thing that The Block has done that is especially egregious. And I will never fucking watch The Block because of this alone. And this is the case of the Gatwick Hotel. The Gatwick Hotel was the location for the 14th season of The Block. The Gatwick Hotel had been a boarding house which housed some of Melbourne's most vulnerable people since the 1950s. When Nine Network bought the hotel for $10 million, long-term accommodation was found for the residents who were staying there at the time. However, as too many of these things go, due to the gentrification of the area, the residents couldn't afford their new housing that they were moved into, or they were moved away from St Kilda, which is 
where the Gatwick Hotel is located. And St Kilda is where all the fucking services that especially cater to like many homeless individuals are concentrated. Like these central areas are where people who don't have permanent housing, that's where they need to be. And they just pushed a fucking 120 people out to build this dumbass show. But yeah, it's like literally across the street from like Victorian Pride Center. And St. Kilda is really fucking expensive. Yeah, so they were like dying. They were gagging to buy this fucking thing. And apparently like, apparently the police and politicians like pressuring the owners to sell as well. Like they were really wanting that piece of property. And they didn't want to sell. So one homelessness support worker told The Age that eight people who used to live in the Gatwick now sleep in the 7-Eleven car park opposite where they used to live. That's so sad. While the block can't be solely to blame for this, it is part of what maybe is the actual Australian value of move on when it comes to homeless folks. True. The public and private sectors work together to further punish and endanger people in poverty. Scott Cam was saying that he loves being able to change pieces in a community pieces that have had a a long history but he said that the community are pretty grateful for the block coming into their community and like zhuzhing up the place and i want to point out that vulnerable and homeless populations are the community too so even in his fucking language he's showing how much disregard he has for homeless people it's making me think of that fucking simpson episode where they moved to cypress creek and they're like saying like how much better the community is and then it's like there's a homeless man and then he turns into a post box <laughs> Oh, it's so because it's like you know a rundown building, and he gets turned into like a cafe or whatever, and then there's like a homeless Mm -hmm. man standing there, and he turns into a post box. Fucking, it's gold, but like it just speaks completely to gentrification and like how the how people like in those upper classes view lower classes. Like in like the first episode of this particular season that used the what was previously the Gatwick Hotel, it went on to really point out how derelict this place was. Because, you know, vulnerable people, they naturally ruin the boarding houses that they stay in. Boarding houses are definitely funded well enough to be maintained properly. As one Twitter user said, The block sounds great tonight. Let's go into a building where people down on their luck lived until recently and make fun of how shit it is. Hmm. Because... Basically, this entire fucking first episode was then going like, ew, 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 at like inside the fucking Gatwick Hotel. And it's like, so that's very funny. And everyone fucking enjoys having a laugh at and like pointing at how gross it is. But you won't ask where those people are and like how we could have ever let people stay in those conditions. So again, despite using the language of the working class, In the block, there is no empathy and no recognition of what they're doing to communities. Like, truly the communities as a whole. It's just smarmy and judgmental. And within a year of the Gatwick being sold, 32 women of the 120 residents who had been living there prior to the sale were imprisoned for offences that were directly related to their homelessness. Jesus Christ. So women are especially vulnerable in prisons as well. They potentially would not have been homeless except for this sale, or at least this sale certainly did not better their chances, right? Economic impacts. So I found an article through NPR called A Decade After the Bubble Burst, How Slipping is on the Rise. 
It noted that house flipping is at an 11-year high in the United States and is the subject of many TV shows and weekend workshops that promise to teach attendees how to make a fortune. And the fact that there is a cottage industry of house flipping workshops tells me that this is a fucking grift. Like, if you've watched anything about pyramid schemes or any other grifts, you learn that the people telling you how to earn a fortune are usually actually earning their fortune by selling workshop tickets. By telling you. Yes. Yeah. So while some experts dispute the idea that there will be another property market crash, an economist from the University of Pittsburgh argues that the rise in mortgage defaults during the last housing crash was mostly attributable to real estate investors, including flippers. Approximately two-thirds of house flipping projects in the U.S. during the last bubble were financed with loans. And in the states of Phoenix and Florida, approximately 80% of house flipping projects were financed on loans. So while we call this the subprime mortgage crash, right? You think of that and you think of banks who are still absolutely to blame here as well. I'm not taking that away. But like you think of people who are poor buying their family home, even though maybe they shouldn't have. And, and they're sort of to blame, right? When actually experts and researchers are finding out that actually it was people with better than average credit scores who owned multiple homes and not subprime buyers that were a huge part of the problem in the last crash. So real estate investors, landlords and flippers, not these people who had to fucking have their family home foreclosed. They were the ones that were hit because landlords and flippers and investors, their family home's the last one to go. So in short, The block, and as far as I can tell, house flipping shows in general, promote property investment and development as a non-political, ethically neutral way to make a profit. As evidenced by the choice of Scott Cam as a host for The Block and utilising Australian working class vernacular, house flipping shows attempt to cater to a working class Australia and, and tell them that if they work hard enough and make wise enough decisions, they too can climb the property ladder. But it is property flipping itself that has contributed to the conditions that make the property market increasingly prohibitive to the working class. House flipping shows promote consumption, negotiation of quality in order to fucking maximize profit, and individualistic notions that are in line with neoliberal politics, especially in Australia. I'm personally against the ideology behind property investment in general, like let alone house flipping, but learning of the contribution it made to the financial crash in the past and the material harm inflicted upon residents who were boarding in the Gatwick has really shown me how these shows refuse to look at the broader picture which I'd like to think my beloved Grand Designs would. Part of me thinks it with the whole uh, the way that it positions class in a way it kind of makes it seem as though you know if they're positioning working class people as being able to achieve this but clearly it's marketed in a way that's for middle to upper class people <laughs> it's also making it like a um a superiority thing like if a working class person can do this then you can definitely do it so that's really interesting you said that i didn't write this down but it's something that stuck in my mind one of the academic pieces i read noted that attitudes towards the tips that are given on the block because they'll try and like work in like oh here's how you can like you know do this thing for cheaper or a hack or something like that Mm -hmm. actual working class people who are watching the block will see that and sort of like critique it or be like i know more than this person this advice isn't for me but then the middle to upper class people watching that show will be like well this is a working class thing 
it has nothing to do with me. It's going to no one. Everyone who's watching it, it's perceived as not being for them. Although, like, rich people are some of the cheapest people I've ever fucking met, so, like... Absolutely. <laughs> Cara, do you think that house-flipping shows are helpful? No. <laughs> Straight up, no. Like, I think in a in our uh, in our playoffs, like, that's a pretty clear decision. But, like, in general, like, I guess my final sort of thought with, um with house buying was that like as long as audiences are watching the reality shows with the emphasis on it being tv Mm -hmm. rather than reality i think they're not harmful at all yeah and the bottom line is just like don't be an idiot like educate yourself in a more rounded way and consult professionals when necessary Mm -hmm. but beyond that like any issue like we said that we talked about was something that comes up just with regular house buying and not necessarily with it being a reality show i think like anything i suppose with the block as well like you were looking at a very extreme version of it and i suppose if i had looked at i think most of what i watched was more like location 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 Mm -hmm. or you know, house hunters, but if I'd gone down that route of watching more of those shows that are like young, rich and house hunting or like million dollar beach house, I couldn't tolerate more than one episode of each of them. But I think in those situations, like, you know, they are the more extreme versions of, you know, extreme capitalism, extreme property buying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think everything is worse in extremes. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, like the moderate sort of (laughs) the middle ground of the property buying shows is what I was watching. um, And I don't think they were particularly offensive. So yeah, I would say they were actually relatively helpful. And I think talking to my mum was good as well to get sort of her insight into that being helpful because I was fully expecting her to say it was not. Yeah. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm surprised by like the lack of criticism I have for property buying outside of my own beliefs of property buying anyway. Yeah, I I admit that my fixation on the block itself may not have been fair. I think all my criticisms are fair, but I don't think I spent enough time watching like US-based. The block is a game show, so a lot of other ones aren't. They'll usually just follow like a team of flippers and, you know, they'll go through different houses and I'll cop to maybe as you said like maybe looking at like an extreme like the worst of the worst of what house flipping shows can be but i think it's also like easier to be extreme when it is an extreme idea you know what i mean like house flipping in itself is a pretty gross concept it's so bad so why not make it the grossest whereas house buying is like there's different sides to that like anyone (laughs) can do it you can buy for the wrong reasons you can buy for the right reasons Mm -hmm. like you can have good or bad intention Um, so there's obviously going to be more of an array of like you know, quality and shit programming pertaining to it, but with house flipping, it's like, nah, you're all fuckwits. Like, it's going to be bad no matter what, you may as well. It's purely for profit. It's not for anything else. And I guess maybe, in my defence, like, the block is insanely popular in Australia. And I think that a lot of people are watching this show, and it's not a criticism of them, but I think they're watching it not realising that there are these very strategic things being conveyed to them. Also, like, correct me if I'm wrong, like, anyone, feel free to, but for the second time tonight, I will say that, like, I would hazard a guess that we have another diagram here where it's, like, a Venn diagram where it's two separate circles, and it's people that listen to this podcast and people that watch the block, like, legitimately watch the block, in a a non-critical way. Although it's hard to draw a line. Like, where do we, as the total, you know, we, we are the people who set what's moral and what's immoral here, where would you draw a line in terms of, like, watching the block 
critically or uncritically or just for like you know it's bad but you're watching it anyway or just like flat out just watching it not thinking like it's really hard to draw a line i don't even partake because i like i did I, a, I just have no fucking interest in doing that. yeah for sure but b i think it's it's difficult with things where you start doing I've, i'm sure we've all done it i've definitely done it with like language um like where you start saying something ironically and then it just becomes part of your vernacular <laughs> and then you just end up using it legitimately and I think that can happen with like television like you sort of you start watching it because you're like oh it's so bad or it's just so bad that it's good and then it just becomes good well yeah thanks for discussing that with me um I think we both changed a hill maybe so now we've got in the lead is uh of helpfulness is property buying and trailing the pack is cops which is not surprising. So thanks for listening to this episode of Hill to Die On. You can catch us on Twitter at Hill to Die On Pod. You can like us on Facebook at Hill to Die On. Our website, including all the show notes for each episode, is hilltodieonpod.com. Our Patreon, if you want to become an amazing gulk or hire, is patreon.com slash hilltodieonpod. You can shoot us an email with all your praises at hilltodieonpod at gmail.com. And our Instagram is a hill to die on pod. If any of you champs could rate and review our podcast on preferably Apple iTunes, it'd be greatly appreciated. That would be sick. All right. See you later. Bye.